0: Good morning. Nehemiah chapter 9 in our series titled Together. And so we've been here for several weeks now. I think this is the seventh week. We'll have two more weeks after this and we'll conclude the end of the month. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 9. A little summary we know that the wall is built, we know that the people of God are led back in, and that Ezra is reading the word. That's where we picked it up last week when Adam preached his message on the importance of the word of God. Many were just sitting there for almost six hours at a day. Ezra was just reading. People wanted to study. In verse 8, it says that they had it read to them and they were given understanding. In verse 13 of chapter 8, it says that they studied the words of the law. What happens when this takes place, you get to know the author of the word. And when you get to know the author of the word, you will be changed. Because God's word doesn't return void. In verse 18 of Chapter 8, it says, day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. So we have the Israelites coming together, the wall is built, worship is being restored, they've been walking away from God, they've not been worshiping God like they can and should for years, and now everything is being restored, and the word is really important to that, and what happens, what does the word do? That's, we're going to pick it up in chapter 9 and, and take a look at that. It's really important for us to understand, that yes, the word of God is really important. And it's important for us to study the word of God and read the word of God. It's really important for us to understand who the word of God is declaring and who it's talking about. The Bible is completely all about him. From the beginning to the very end, it is all about him. This is what takes place when the people of God come together and read the word of God. Then what we see in Nehemiah chapter nine is they break out into confession. It's a little bit for them to get there, so we'll go ahead and jump right in. Before I jump right in, I wanna make sure you understand the big idea for this morning. If we were to summarize a couple things, I have a big idea and then two points. We're going to do exactly what the Israelites done at the end of this message, and I wanna make sure you know that. First of all, owning our sin before God is critical to our relationship with God. Owning our sin before God is critical to our relationship with God. So here's what took place. We learn in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, they go through the text and they're reading the word of God and it overwhelms them and it brings them to confession. At the end of the message, our application for this message is going to be us to have a quiet time in your seat of just confession. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit of God, because I have all morning and I have uh, all week, asking the Lord to prepare your heart for sins that are before, between you and God and are preventing you from understanding and living for God like you can and like you should. And so as we go through the word of God, chapter 9, the whole chapter, all 38 verses, what I want you to do as they're doing is they are recounting all that God did in their life before they come to confession. They're gonna go through Abraham and they're gonna go through the Red Sea, and they're gonna go through bondage and we're gonna unpack that and read that. But as I'm going through the text, I want you to take a look in, in chapter nine and in your Nehemiah journal, I would love for you to just jot down things that God has done in your life, that he has delivered you from that he has saved you from, that he has shown you. Just take a little note as we're going along and just jot that down in the text because they are recounting all that he did. And when they remember all that he did, they come to him and say, I just want to be clean so I can be used by you. So that's sort of a telegraph of kind of where we're going through the morning. And so let's go ahead and jump in to chapter nine and we'll go through all these verses and then at the end we'll make some observations and just spend some time together just individually confessing our sins before a holy God because he deserves it. Chapter one, here's what it says. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with the earth on their heads. So as a result of reading the word, what took place, this is coming out of chapter eight, as a result of what took place, they were brought low in a posture of humility. They realized what God had done. They realized who God was and there was a posture of worship, a posture of repentance. Sackcloth and ashes is used all throughout the Old Testament. It is a reminder that you are a sinner and that God is the Savior. It is a reminder that God is good. It is a reminder that we are sinners, and there is nothing that we can do about that, and there is a humble posture that they have. Verse two, here's what it says. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood, and here's what they did. They confessed, their sins, and the iniquities of their fathers. There was no blame game here. There was no, well, he did this, so therefore I did that. You've heard that before, maybe in your home, right? We've done that ourselves. We deflect and we blame. Adam did that. We learned it from him. Well, this woman that you gave me, she made me do that. Here's what they're taking place. Sin is laid before them And it says here that they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their forefathers. They're not blaming it on their forefathers. saying they were in sin and we are in sin. And God, we want to make that right. Verse 3. They stood up in the place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. For a quarter of the day, for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped their God. So we've got... All of this stuff going on right now. The most miserable person in the world is a believer who is in sin. The most miserable person in the world is a believer who is sitting and just marinating in unconfessed sin. Because number one, we do not have to do that. There's a holy God, here's a quote I have for you by a pastor. He said, He cannot fully enjoy his sin because of his guilty conscience and he can no longer enjoy fellowship god because of his sin confession is defined as to say the same thing about our action as god says about it so when god says it's sin it is sin but we know that in first john 8 and 10 it says if we say we have no sin we declare our we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but here's first 10 and don't miss this but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know it. There is a bold declaration by the God of the universe that is saying your sin is keeping you from me and I don't want that to be the case. I want to use you. I want you to know me. I want to know you and I don't want there to be a separation. The greatest enemy of a believer's life, one of the greatest enemies to a believer's life is sitting there in unconfessed sin. So verse four, we jump in and we see, okay, what are they gonna do? What's, what's happening right now? On the stairs of the Levites stood, I'll take Adam, a bunch of people, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. So they're crying with a loud voice, which means they're confessing their sins. But there's also another group. And then the, and then the Levites, with another group of people, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And so here's what they're doing. They're confessing their sins, and then they're praising the God of creation. Because they're recognizing that I can be forgiven. It is possible that I can be forgiven. I have seen him forgive over and over again by recounting all that he did through the Israelites, all that the word of God says, or the word of the law as they were reading. I can be forgiven. So they're confessing, and then they're over here, and they're praising. Don't believe we can separate those two in any way, shape, or form. So, so what, did the, what did the word of God do for them? The word of God brought out this great remembrance of all that God did for him. And then here's your homework in the middle of the message is just to jot down as we go through each section, what in the world have you seen God do for you? Just, I want you as I speak this morning to just list those things of the things that you have seen God do in your life. I desire for God through his Holy Spirit for it to captivate you because many times what happens is we see who we are not and in an effort we cannot be who God wants us to be. And it's because of this issue of sin But in order to get there, let's be reminded of all that he has done. And so here's what they do. They start off with creation. Verse 6, it says this. You are the Lord, you alone. That's actually a direct quote of Deuteronomy chapter 6 the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host. The earth and all is on it. The seas and all that is in them. You preserve all them, and the host of heaven worships you. The world is stunning, and we recognize that it is you who is the artist that put all that together. Wednesday, I was going up early in the morning, going to the workout group I'm in, and I'm driving down High House Road, coming around Preston Corners, and I don't know if I've ever seen a more beautiful sunset in the world. The Lord just was like, and the, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so here he is, he's talking about the, the, the creation of the world. It is stunning, and it is you, God, who put this all together. That's what they're declaring right here. They, they keep walking down memory lane going in verse 7. Verse 7, it says this, you are the Lord, the Lord who chose Abram. And brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Gergesite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And so here he is. They come up and they recount what happened to Abram. Abram was a pagan moon worshiper. He worshiped the moon god, Nanar, and his wife, Nanagal. That's what Abram was doing. God comes to him and says, I am going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And I'm going to make your name great among many nations. And when they read the book of the law of Moses, they come in and they find out, God, we remember all that you did through Abraham, that you are a God who keeps your promises. That's what's captivating them right now. So they see him in creation and then they go back into their history and they remember all that took place in Abraham, through Abraham. So memory lane continues, verse 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, when they were in bondage, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers." And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers in the depths and a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them by day, and by a pillar of fire by a pillar of fire in the night to light the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven and gave them the right rules true laws, statutes, and commandments. Verse 14, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes, a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for the hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for the thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Here it is, they're just recounting everything that he had done, which I hope this morning that's what you're doing in your life. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and they stiffened their neck. And the reason that I want you to keep writing things what God has done in you so that you wouldn't be what has just been declared in that verse. Let us not be people who will disobey the commandments that have laid out by God. Let us not be people who will stiffen our necks. Verse 17, "They they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Here is their strategy. Here is the strategy. The character of God is revealed. And he's talking of all that he has done. And they're doing this right now to reveal the heinousness of their sin and the graciousness of the loving God that we serve. So what is revealed in this whole thing here is Look how wonderful, look how majestic, look how good, look how great our God is. And look how heinous our sin is before this holy God. That is what is going to bring them to a stature of confession or continue in that. But you are a God who is ready to forgive I have a quote for you here, is what it says. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Verse 18, even when they made for themselves a golden calf, you said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. And you, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night. To light for them the way by which you should they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from the mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Here it is, I love this part. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Love the details of the God that we serve. Verse 22. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted for them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into the hand with the kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. Verse 25, and they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns, already hewn vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. But here's their response, and I prayed that it would wake us up. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, and they rebelled against you And cast your law behind their backs, and they killed your prophets. Who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. 27, therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies. You made them suffer, and in the time of their suffering, wait for it, here it is, they cried out to you. Listen, listen, don't miss this. And you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after that rest, they did evil again. Before you and and you abandoned them in the land of the enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried out to you, listen, here he is, this is who he is. You heard from heaven And many times, listen to me, circle that in your Bible. Circle that in your your Nehemiah journal. This is what happens. And many times, you delivered them according to your, what? Mercies. That's who we serve. That is this great God that we talk about. In verse 26, 29, it says, And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their necks and would not obey. 30, many years you bore them, bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. I've given you a wake-up call. I've sent people to tell you, don't go that way. Don't do that. Yet they would not hear, give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of your peoples and lands. 31, nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end to them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have dealt wickedly. Here is the confession. They have gone down memory lane. They have seen over and over and over the mercy of God. It comes to him right now and said, "God, you are the one who has been faithful. We are the one who has been wicked. We're asking you, please forgive us." Verse 34. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments or your warnings that you gave them, even in their kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that were set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves to this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. 37, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. God, please do again what you have done many times. We're asking you, we're recognizing that you continue to forgive. Will you just do it another time? And what do you think he said? Absolutely. Because of this, we all make a firm covenant in writing, and on the sealed document are the names of our princes and our Levites and and our priests. So here's an action step. God, we are putting this down. We are declaring this day that we are going to serve you. What a beautiful summary. The text goes like this. God is good to Israel. Israel sins and God shows mercy. You know, a lot of us can sit there and say that's the outline of our life. You know, God is good to us and we sin. And then God shows his mercy and he forgives us often and again and again and again. The people admitted to blasphemy, stubbornness, refusing to listen to scripture, stiffen their necks, closing their ear, becoming disobedient, rebellious, scorning the law, refusing to pay attention to the laws and the ordinances of God, refusing to serve him and refusing to repent. And there was no cover up in this text. They had come to realize that we are sinners and we need your help because there is nothing that we can do about this. So there's two lessons that I have for us before we go into our time of just spending time and asking God to clean us. Okay, there's, there's two lessons. Lesson number one, confession is a result of remembering God's greatness. Confession is a rem- result of remembering God's greatness. Like I said when I started, or I, I believe I said this, one of the key things that we must realize in this text is this. Sometimes we jump in here and the summary of it is, oh, they're confessing their sins, they're confessing their sins. They do not confess their sins until they realize God's greatness. So their focus is always on God. The focus is always on the holiness of God. And when they recognize and they realize and they camp out and they marinate and the goodness and the greatness of God and all that he has done for them, then what takes place is they realize how good he is that brings them to confession. So confession is a result of remembering God's greatness. We cannot see our sin clearly until we see the glory and greatness of God so supremely. It's beautiful. I I just want to walk you down really quick. I know we just went through the text very clearly, but I want to walk you down a resume of all that God did in this text as they reminded with just short words. It's gonna be quick. Verse eight, you found. Verse nine, you saw. Verse 10, you performed signs and wonders. Verse 12, you led. Verse 13, you came down. Verse 14, you made known. Verse 15, you gave them. Verse 17, you are ready, gracious, merciful, and slow to anger. Verse 18, brought, you brought, brought you up. Verse 19, you did not forsake them. Verse 20, you gave them. Verse 21, you sustained them. Verse 22, you gave Verse 23, you multiplied. Verse 24, you subdued. Verse 25, you provided. Verse 27, you gave them. Verse 29, you warned them. Verse 31, you did not, you are gracious. Verse 33, you have been righteous. And as we sit back and we look at the full story of all that took place, this God who did that then said, I'm going to take care of your sin once and for all. I'm going to take the entire wrath of God and I'm going to place it On this person named King Jesus. Because Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 says. Without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. And so we know that we can be forgiven. Because of what King Jesus did for us. He bore it. He died for it. He is the one. Who gives us forgiveness of sins. There is no one like him. And I'm as one of your pastors. I need you to understand that. There is no greater tragedy to our spiritual walk as a disciple if confession of sin is not a regular part of our life. It's a beautiful, beautiful text that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we talk about. That is the God that we sing about, we talk about. I have a quote for you. Here's what it says. To see the depths of our sin, we first need to see the height of God's greatness. To see the depths of our sin, we first need to see the height of God's greatness. As a a form of testimony, I really wasn't planning to share this, but you sit there and you recognize all that God has done for you. It brings you into a submissive and a humble role. My, My wife just passed Friday, had surgery as a result of breast cancer. But I need to declare to you that it it's the third surgery this year and we are sitting here right now boldly declaring as a family that she doesn't have it anymore, that she's healed of it. And to sit back and to wrestle with uh, December and get this diagnosis in January, have a surgery and then February, have another surgery and follow up and then all of a sudden, to be where we are at this day right now, there is a God who is so good. And he is so great. And I'm sitting here right now, and I'm just, my wife is home recovering, and we're going to the beach this afternoon to recover. And I just want to celebrate how good he is. I want to declare to you that he gives, he multiplies, he subdues, he provides, he gave them the least we can do is to own our sin before a holy and good God the least we can do. He's so good. And I hope that you will just be able to recollect all that he has done for you to bring us to this place where we can just sit there and go, I'm gonna remember your greatness. And as I remember your greatness, I'll be quicker to confess my sins. I'll be quicker to come to you and ask for your forgiveness. So confession is a result of remembering God's greatness. Lesson number two. When we uncover our sin to God through confession, God covers our sin with mercy. When we uncover our sin to God through confession, God covers our sin with mercy. Over and over again, they stiffened their neck, they were stubborn, they didn't listen, and over and over again, God gave them over to them, but then when they cried, he would come back. He always heard their cry. When Jonah was in the whale. Because of disobedience, he cried out to God and God answered. And when we sit here and we recognize, God, we're gonna call to you, you're going to answer and you're gonna cover that sin and you're gonna cover that with mercy. Because why? He's faithful, he's a covenant keeping God. When they recount the issue of Abraham, the reminding of all the promises that we have in Christ. One of the greatest dangers in our life is to try to manage our sin and not confess our sin. It is an absolute paradox to sit there and say that when we confess it, he covers it. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen 13 is probably one of the greatest warnings to us as believers in Christ. There's different versions of this verse. I memorized it in this way, and it says this. He who covers his sin, God will uncover. Let me stop right there. He who covers his sin. What that means is you hide. We do not confess. We do not own. It is our sin and we don't come to God and we don't get rid of it. We don't confess it to him when that's what he says for us to do. And when we do that, what does he say he's going to do? It's a warning. He said, if you're going to cover it, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to uncover it. And so that's a challenge for each of us today. For any sin that's in our life. Because that sin prevents us from understanding and following and knowing and truly being a disciple of who he is. And that's the goal, being a disciple and helping other people follow who he is. And it says, hey, if you're gonna cover it, I'm gonna uncover it. That's generosity, that's not wrath. Then he says, here's the mercy, this is what he says. But he who uncovers his sin, there's confession, he who uncovers it, I will cover it. He who uncovers his sin, I will cover it. How does he cover it? He covers it by the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. That's how he covers it, where sins are forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice, meaning there is no forgiveness. We are coming here, and we are declaring that, God, we can come to you We can uncover our sin before you and you are faithful and just to cleanse us from that and make us right with you. And ultimately, guys, that's what we want is to be right with God. So positionally, we're right with God. When we come to faith in Christ, positionally, we are right with God. Relationally, relationally, we must continue to be right with God by a continual posture of confession. It is good for the soul. And so what are we going to do as we sort of conclude our time here together? I'm going to make mention of maybe possibly something that maybe you need to confess. Maybe it's something, I trust the Holy Spirit to lead this little time that we're going to have together. But I'm just going to guide our time together. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is going to lead it. But I'm just going to call some things out that I believe sometimes can get in the way of our relationship with God if we do not confess. I'm gonna say something, I'm gonna pause, and right where you are, I just wanna to, want to ask you to come and ask King Jesus to forgive you, and knowing that he will. And I'm asking you to rely on his power to allow you to have sustained victory in that area, whatever it might be. if It's a habitual sin you've been struggling with for a long time. What I'm asking is, you, is, that, is that you would confess that, but he would also, through the power of his spirit, to give you sustained victory, not just let this be a pep rally or just a moment. There's a God in heaven who is absolutely pleased when his people do what he asks them to do. And so I just want to invite you into a time of just confessing as the Lord leads. If there is a relationship that's in this room that you need to make right, I would encourage you to get up and go make that right. But as we... Go ahead and do this. I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not having any music being played. Not just coming before God and asking you to just do business with God. First, what about a relationship with those people that are closest to you that you need to confess before God? Possibly tone or the way that you talk or the way that you treat, whether it be spouse your parents, your friends, or your kids? Is there anything in your life that God would say, you need to own that before me? What about your language, the way that you talk? Is there any part of your language that dishonors God? Spend time confessing that. What about an apathy of the things of God? Or apathy in life? The participation in gossip? How about movies and video games and social media? And how you participate in that? Whether it be too much or things that you say or like. Or the secrets that you might have in that, that area. Video games movies social media what you watch lastly what about idols in your life any idols god gives us good things we turn them into a god thing it's a bad thing what about what idols that come at you and take your affection away from him god we pause right now at the end of our service recognizing that you are the one who forgives you restore our relationship to God, Jesus. You do that. And you constantly have demonstrated that through the cross and through your words. And you tell us to come to you. You tell us that we are sinners. You tell us to come and confess. And you tell us that you will forgive. And so today, we come to you right now, realizing that in certain areas of our life that we have been stiff-necked, that we have been stubborn, that we have been bitter, that we have been apathetic. We realize that and we recognize that and God, that is sin and we own it. We come to you as a church this morning desiring to seek you for all that we have and all that we can be. We come to you right now and ask you to bring us together. We ask you to unite us. We ask you to use us for your great name. We ask you to help us, to communicate to people consistently, passionately, about how good you are and how great you are. This beautiful 66 books of the Bible talk about how good you are and what you want from us. Thank you for your spirit that gives us power to be able to do what you've called us to do. In order to be in that place, we recognize that we're sinners. We're grateful that you have forgiven us. We're grateful that you continue to forgive. And we're grateful that every time we call in your name, you hear us. You are so good. There is no one like you. Thank you for Nehemiah and the lessons that we can learn. Thank you for the warning that happens when we don't uncover our sin. And thank you for the mercy that we get when we do. We love you. We thank you. We pray that you'll use the last two songs here for us to encounter you. And we pray that we as a church and as individuals would be a group of believers who are in constant confession of you because we need to be clean and we want to know you better today than we did yesterday. Use us in Jesus' name, amen.